Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 88 of The Great Divide, the Big Country Podcast. This is Tom. Svein is not here with me right now, but he's going to be joining me presently. And this is going to be a little bit different of an episode than what we've done in the last, I don't know, couple years. Number one, it's an episode that's under 90 minutes long, which is unbelievable. And yes, it is true. You'll see. It's under 90 minutes. Number two, this episode is going to feature two special guests, and this is probably going to be the first of these kinds of episodes. Um, We've got probably maybe two more left to do, Um, but the people that are going to be on the show today are actually pledgers. They are pledgers to the WKW Men of Steel crowdfunding campaign that we held not too long ago, so that we, WKW, that's Bruce Watson, Jamie Watson, and myself, uh, Tom Kercheval, could release our new album, Men of Steel, on CD. So thanks so much to all you guys who participated in that and who have bought it since, which has been awesome. But there was a tier on that crowdfunding campaign where people could uh, contribute a certain amount, and that would get them an appearance on the podcast. So we're going to do the first two of those today, and we've got four more to go after these two. Um, But these are some really fun guests to talk to. These are just regular big country fans like all of us, and uh, they've got some interesting stories to tell about their own unique big country experiences. So their names are Stuart Arnott, and Tom Steber. You may recognize some of these names, you may not, but you will know them after this show. So let's start out with Stuart Arnott, shall we? Here we go. Okay, everyone. So we are now joined by Stuart Arnott. He is uh, a guy who who pledged in the WKW campaign to be on the podcast, and we are more than happy to welcome him from London. And Stuart, welcome to The Great Divide. Thank you very much. It's awesome to have you. And as I mentioned to you off offline, thank you so much for your contribution to WKW. And uh, Stuart has some great things to talk about here that are that you know we would love to have him have him on the show, no matter what he did with the pledge. So this is going to be fun. And uh, as as always, Svein from Norway is here with me. Hello, Svein. Hello. I'm going to take a back seat here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, but let's talk with our guest. Yeah. So Stuart. Um, Tell us a little bit about uh, your first introduction to Big Country, and uh, you, you saw them back in the first tour. So, w- when was the first time you actually heard them and became aware of them? Uh, uh, probably about six months before I saw them live. So, probably uh, around the time that Fields of Fire first came out. So, I kind of missed Harvest Home being released, but I used to work shifts back in 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 those days. Uh, I, I'm still in technology now but in those days you used to have uh, big old computer rooms uh, and we used to have the radio on after five o'clock when uh, you know the the business uh, went home and, and we would have the radio cranked up uh, and this song came on which was fields of fire and it absolutely blew me away And from that particular moment, um, I was a massive big country fan. Um, I, I was aware of uh, what Stuart had done in the skids, but I only sort of heard bits and bobs of theirs, not, not really bought too many uh, singles or albums of, of theirs up to that point, maybe a couple of singles, um, working for the Yankee Dollar and Circus Games. Um, but once I heard Fields of Fire, I, I didn't really connect Stuart as being in the skids at that time, so it came as a bit of a bolt out of the blue. 
Um, but from that um, from that particular moment, that that was me hooked. Um, I had rushed out and bought Fields of Fire the next day, uh, and couldn't wait to see them tour. Basically, and um, from where I was in London, uh, fortunately there's, there's a couple of really nice venues near where I live. Uh, it was a Hammersmith Apollo uh, that they did on Crossing the Fall tour, uh, and the atmosphere walking into the place was just incredible. Um, it was like a, I can only uh, liken it to maybe come some kind of sporting sporting event because the band, uh, even before they came on, all the fans in the in the bars and in the foyers and what have you were singing in a big country and fields of fire. And it was just a huge atmosphere. And when you've got three and a half thousand people um, before the band even got on uh, that were absolutely up for the gig, then um you can imagine what the uh, the show was like uh, after that. It was just absolutely phenomenal. Oh, amazing. So so they were yeah. singing the songs before the show even started. Absolutely, yeah. So you, you've got, um, you know, to get to the stage, it, it was an old um, movie theatre uh, that got converted into, um, you know, uh, for, for concerts. And, uh, you know, bands still play there now. Uh, and, um, yeah, absolutely. And, so you've got that big sort of foyer, uh, quite a large bar area. So there must have been 1,500 people upstairs, uh, maybe 2,000 downstairs, but I was upstairs. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they just the atmosphere, uh, I'll definitely have that as uh, one of the top three gigs of all time uh, for me to, to go and see. That was for sure. Uh, it was awesome. That's incredible. That's incredible. So, so what was the um... – I guess, and you've, you've kind of already answered this question in, in a sense with, with the accolades that you just gave it, but just if you could elaborate a little bit more even on what the experience of seeing them live like was versus, you know, you hearing them uh, on the radio, you hearing the song, the single. After you saw them live, I'm assuming that must have skyrocketed your, your fandom to another level. What they did, yeah, I must have hit. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a bit of an anorak when it comes to, to big country and... Um, you know, I, I've opened up, uh, you know, like a, a record collection of theirs. I've got something like 400 records, wow. uh, just over 400 records of theirs that I've collected worldwide. Uh, I've been lucky enough to see the band maybe 50 or so times live uh, over the years. Um, I've not gone so much. Um, now Tony and um, Stuart are no longer uh, around, but um, certainly I've seen them a couple of times uh with without tony and, and, and stuart but mostly obviously with um the core lineup really right right is is there a is there a particular tour that really stands out to you uh, even beyond that first show that you saw but is there one tour that you saw that you thought wow they were absolutely on fire on this one especially so yeah i think um to be honest with you live they were phenomenal um i can't remember going to see them and ever coming in a way disappointed um, that 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 just never happened, um, and, and obviously uh, Stuart's health sort of fluctuated a little bit on, on some of the tours, um, but um, certainly um, from from um, the final tour, I suppose was the, probably the most poignant. Um, uh, saw them at uh, Shepherd's Bush, um, at um, Bush Hall there, at Shepherd's Bush Hall there, and um, again. I couldn't believe that that was going to be the final fling because they were incredible. Um, a criminally underrated album, in my opinion, was Driving to Damascus. 
Uh, and uh, I'm sure you've spoken before about how the charts over here in the UK, Rob Fragile thing, have been uh, you know, a much higher placing than it ultimately got because of some marketing problems with their packaging. Yes. Uh, but but other than that, I mean, they were I mean, such good form uh, on the final fling tour. Uh, and I felt sure that maybe after another year or two, just taking a break or whatever, the boys would be back, you know. Uh, because they certainly were at the peak of their game. There's, there's no question about it. They'd grown as musicians, and musically, they were just phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and yeah, we did we did speak. What's fine? Maybe just a couple minutes about driving to Damascus on their show. Uh, well, I think the tally was fourteen hours twenty one minutes. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You, you've probably beaten me, I would say. <laughs> we are we are long winded, if nothing else. But yeah, the, you're right that. That um, I, I didn't see them on the driving to Damascus tour, really, but I, I guess in a way I saw them. Well, in a way I did because I saw them in Nashville in the United States before the album yeah, came out. Did. Yeah, that so, was yeah. The, that, that was the pre-Folds fiasco. So that was, um, you know, the, the narrative is that the wind kind of went out of their sails after that. But it's, that's why it's so interesting to hear you, Stuart, talk about what a phenomenal show you felt it was. Yeah, like, I mean, like the wind hadn't gone out of the sails. They, they well, really were good. But yours was the final not. fling too, so that was a couple yeah. of years after. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, there is no question about it. Musically, they were they were in an incredible place at the time. They, re- I mean, the whole band were just were just incredible. Um, I, I saw Stuart in the Raphaels uh, at Dingwalls. Oh wow! Uh, um, with obviously with Marcus Hummond uh, a couple of years after that, and it was a very small gig. 250 people maybe um but again you could see that Stuart wasn't he didn't he didn't feel that he was 100 percent at that time um but i mean again even even from um probably not at the the peak of his uh you know mental state he certainly musically they were absolutely on the ball and and the crowd were going nuts Mm. um they sort of finished within a big country like an acoustic version a country version of in a big country Stay with you like a 
reaction that he got that they both sort of stood there and you could see they were a little bit shocked with the reaction that they got uh, from playing it and Stuart said I don't know what else we can play we've played all the songs that we know there's nothing else we can do do you want us to play something that we've already played so of course the crowd went yes so they played a couple of songs that they played earlier in the t- in, in the set uh, Supernatural for uh, um, which was obviously the you know the lead song uh, off of the album uh, and then they played in a big country again, and just the place just exploded. They're oh just, my goodness! Uh, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about it. He would have, he would have definitely have uh, been blown away by the uh, reaction that they got. That's amazing. And and you know, not to sidetrack the discussion too much, um, but when you think about, it, it almost seems to me like big country has seen a, a resurgence over the years recently. Like the, their live shows are, are doing great, and it seems like the community online is bigger than ever. And uh, you know, there's even a podcast about the band so it's like you know you, you it, it sort of makes you angry in some sense to think that gosh if Stuart was around today he would he would be enjoying all of this so much you would you would think uh, well yeah I, w- I would think so because it's um I think there's a, a hardcore following there for sure um and uh, you know the band I think they're, they're off to play in in California in a couple of weeks I think or early in the new year uh, they've done a couple of tours of Australia and New Zealand. So the, the interest is definitely there. There's, there's no question about that. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Well, tell me a little bit about your record collection because uh, that, <laughs> that interests me. And I know that's going to especially interest Fine because he's right. another record collector. So, yeah. I mean, talk a little bit about some of the more um, rare things that you have, if there's something in particular that, you, that you're still interested in. Um, 
You know, if you're a member of the Big Country Trading Post, so I don't know if you if you're a member of no, that no, site. I'm not aware of that one. I'm, I'm writing that down. Yo, <laughs> please, please do. Oh my yeah. gosh, you, that that'll be this. You'll be a, you'll be hugely popular there because it's called the uh, the Big Country Trading Post. It's a Facebook okay. site, and it's a place where uh, people, you know, big country fans exclusively share rare material and and look for rare records and right. and, and share uh, their finds. So yeah, check that out. Definitely, they would love to hear from Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah, I've uh, I've written that down for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. For for I've been collecting stuff all around the world, uh, and eBay's been a great way of opening up some of that market. But I've been fortunate enough to work, um, you know, in the Far East, uh, as well as um, you know, my daughter lives in the states, so looking around second secondhand stores in the states and what have you. Um, so. Um, I think probably that there's two or three that I've, I've got that um, that I'm most proud of. One is, uh, I mean, I've showed some of these to Tony when he came round for the gig, and he'd never seen half of half of the collection because, unbelievably, the record companies would just say we're going to release this as a single, but they wouldn't even tell them what formats it was being released on or what variants of the album, uh, you know, of the songs would be would be released. And I found that amazing, to be honest. You know, there's there's the artist. It's, it's his his work. He puts his heart and soul into it, and they don't even bother telling him. Oh well, by the way, there's going to be four copies of this or four versions of this, and and these are the formats it's coming out in. He had no no idea. So I, I guess um, the white sleeve of the crossing is is one that I was chasing probably for about fifteen years. Uh, I don't know of anybody else that's got a white sleeve of the crossing. And I'm not even sure this is the one that they sort of mentioned, uh, in the discographies that, uh, came out, um, you know, in, in the eighties, it's white. Uh, it, it's just a plain white sleeve. Uh, and the, um, the, the logo, uh, that's in gold or silver, depending on if you've got the red, green or, or blue is actually in green, um, on the, on the front of the sleeve. Now I, I it's um it's actually produced in Korea, so I don't know if this is a, a bootleg uh, or whether it is an official release. It has everything and the sound quality on it, on the album. It's a little bit iffy because the, the vinyl is a bit scratched and what have you, but it does sound like an official release. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is supposedly from Korea, uh, and I, I picked that one up um, probably about five years ago, six years ago now. Wow. Uh, so I, I, I'm not sure if there are many other people out there that have got the white sleeve of the crossing, um, but that's certainly one that uh, you know I'm, I'm very glad I've managed to track that down. I've never seen it before, never seen it since. So um, I'm not saying it's unique, but at, at least it's uh, yeah. It's, it sounds very unique. It's fine. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that one before? No, I think that is uh, quite a rarity. Okay. Although for those markets, you never know. As you say, is uh, it? Is it official or is it semi-official? I think sure. I think it's recorded as semi-official by most fans, but I'm sure John would uh, look for it if he doesn't have it. Yeah, that makes that that makes it official. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, as far as I was concerned, but as soon as I saw it, I knew that was um, that was something that I had to add to the collection. The other one again is something that I think is is unique. I got a box set in um, in a second-hand record store in Notting Hill Gate in London. Uh, I only paid £25 for it. Uh, and when I got it home and, uh, and realised exactly what was in there, I, I, I was absolutely amazed. <laughs> it's got 
um, it's got three promo copies of the crossing in the different color sleeves in in blue, red, and green. Uh, it's got the number one and two on the labels. Wow! Um, but it also came with um, all of the twelve inch singles. So, because uh, initially I thought it was the twelve inch single collection, but it went right up to Wonderland. So it had Harvest Home right up to Wonderland, promo copies of all of them, including the Scotland-shaped um, Fields of Fire uh, and the red version of uh, In a Big Country. So everything all in a box, and it came with a poster, uh, some stickers, uh, and um, it was like a, a record-sized disc of the Big Country logo uh, in, a, in a hard card back, uh, cardboard. So all, all of that for, for 25 quid, and I, and I showed it to Tony, and he yeah, just had no no idea that such a thing existed. I've never seen one advertised since. I've never seen it since. Oh, um, man, that's so, amazing. Yeah. So wow. that one I was very happy to get. Um, and that was the music and video exchange in Notting Hill. Absolutely. You know it yeah. well. I've, I've been there many times. Yeah, yeah. But sadly, I missed that box. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I just because that's relatively near where I live. So I'm, it's maybe three, four miles from where I live. So I, I go there a fair bit, uh, yeah. and uh, they do have some really interesting stuff. And they tends to be, you know, pretty reasonably priced for what uh, for what they're selling. That's for sure. That is incredible. So and so that was an official officially released uh, box set of of some sort. Then, well, I would imagine they would have given it to DJs or something. I yeah. can't. I can't imagine. Um, it certainly wasn't commercially available. That's for sure because they were all promo versions. Right. Right. Um, right the way through but all, all the singles were the 12 inch versions with uh, and they added in the picture disc as well <laughs> that's amazing so, what a yeah. haul that must have been an incredible feeling to open that up and find all that stuff yeah yeah i, I just thought it was the albums uh and i thought that was good enough to get three promo albums for 25 pounds i thought it was a bargain yeah um but uh, yeah there you go that's um <laughs> So those two in particular, I think, would probably be the two that I would, uh, you know, if there was a house fire, they're the two I'd salvage, I think. <laughs> you mean, don't you save your collection in a fireproof box? I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> my collection is just too big. I have a room uh, for, for my records. So I've got 400 big country records, but uh, my collection goes way back to um, the doo-wop stuff uh, back in the 50s right the way through. So I've got... Yeah, the last count, I've probably got about nine or 10,000 uh, records and CDs. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. Amazing. I don't smoke. I don't drink. So that's my vice. That's <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good vice yeah. to have. You're talking to, yeah. the, to a person who totally understands you and it's fine. So, yeah, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. home is... is is it's covered. a fireproof box. Yes, it's yes. Yeah, I maybe need to get some tips then. It's fine. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the thing because that's the thing I have nightmares about. You know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. that that's true. You know, I, I I do a lot of things to secure my own home, but we're kind of close to the neighboring house, and I'm thinking, you know, how careful are these people? <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> if, if something happens there, I'm kind of screwed. <laughs> yeah. This is it. This is it. Oh, that's... I, I would dig a little moat between you and uh, next door. I think that's the way to do it. I think Possibly. that's a good idea. That's a great yeah. idea. Well, well, Stuart, you mentioned you mentioned having Tony over at your house, and this is probably a, this is probably a great segue into this next phase of the discussion. But um, you had him at your house looking at your record collection. So tell yeah. us about why yeah. he was there and and what that experience was like because he came and played at your home. 
he did yes yes um so when my time came out which incredibly is you know a couple of years ago now uh, or certainly when he, he came to our house was two years ago last week um and the album unfortunately was, was about a six month delay in getting the album out but there was a site at the time called pledge music and very similar to to what you did uh, thomas with um with the wkw just uh yep. people were able to to you know pledge a certain amount of money to, to have different benefits that would come with the album uh and I, I had a landmark birthday um just after or just as the album was released i was 60 uh and i said to my wife if you're struggling to find something for me for for my birthday <laughs> this would just be awesome uh, and um I, I expected it to sort of be around the time that uh, the album was released but it was uh, it was in the november so it was around seven months before my birthday um but uh, ian grant who uh, was tony's manager uh, managed that side of the event for us uh, and he just said look um you know tony's playing dingwalls um he's staying with me for a couple of nights um it would be good if um we could uh, do the show at your house the night before it would give tony an opportunity to play the songs and um uh, you know, maybe an audience of about 10, 12 people. Um, and, um, that would be fine. So I had no idea what to expect, whether we'd just come and play for 20 minutes or, um, and then leave or, or whatever. He said, look, Tony will send you an email. They'll tell you what he needs and uh, take it from there. So Tony just said, look, I'd like to start the show at seven. If I could seven prompt, because um, I'd like to get back to Ian's at a reasonable time so we can plan the gig at Dingwall's tomorrow. So I'll get to you at half six and set up. He was there spot on half past six, um, set the guitar and might have you up. And uh, the show started at seven and he played for two and a half hours. I was absolutely <laughs> amazed. Um, you know, he just said, look, I want to make this as interactive as possible. So, you know, if you've got any questions you want to ask, about Big Country or any of the work that I've done with, you know, Pete Townsend or The Pretenders or, or whoever else, then feel free just to shout out in between songs and I'm happy to do a little bit of Q&A in between the songs that I'm singing. Uh, and he was he was absolutely brilliant, I have to say. And, um, you know, at the end of the show, he said, look, he said, I just didn't expect to get received like this. He said, the reaction was amazing. He said, I know there was only 12 of you, but it sounded like there was, you know, 112. <laughs> uh, and um, he said, these are the first time I've played these songs to anybody outside of my family. So he said, I had no idea what the reaction was going to be like and whether I was wasting my time or not. And, and you don't expect somebody who's got that much I guess, ability and, and skill to be still a little bit nervous of the reaction that he's going to get to the work that he put out. Mm. But um, oh, I'm hoping that we went some way to, to calming the fears uh, that he had, uh, you know, before hitting Dingwalls the night after. Amazing. So, yeah. So, right. so, so what uh, did he play exclusively tracks from his new album? Did he play any big country tracks? Did he play any older things from older uh, Tony Butler releases? He played um, he played the whole of the My Time album, uh, and he interspersed that with a couple of uh, big country songs. Okay. Um, so, uh, but none none of the hits. A couple of um, a couple of uh, tracks off of uh, Why the Long Face actually, um, 
they, they were the. Um, I mean, I've still got the uh, the set list. I can I can share. He asked me to write a review. I'm happy to share the review with you if that's uh, if that's any good. Oh yeah, yes, please, I've please still got do. It. And then then you can uh, you can see the songs that he, he sang and and the reaction to them. But uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, people say don't meet your heroes. I mean, I love Tony's bass playing. Uh, always have, uh, and. Um, he was definitely one of my heroes, but he was just so humble, uh, took time with everybody. Um, in the end, I said, I had to say to him, don't sign anything else because you need to go. You've got the gig tomorrow night. <laughs> he, uh, he was absolutely a perfect, I mean, just a perfect gentleman. There was no question about it. Wow. So I, I need to ask you because if Tony had come to my house, yeah, he, he would have been met with a, setup of multiple video cameras and microphones recording everything right. that happened did you did you take any sort such precautions did you uh, sort of put it down for posterity i didn't no i've got lots of photos so i think i sent a photo through yeah just tony and myself after i've got lots of photos during the set um but i didn't i didn't record it i didn't think uh yeah i didn't think Ian would let me do that to be honest Right, yeah, he married one may not have. Yeah, yeah, and and, and to you know, I mean, I know it would have been just for our consumption, as it were. Right. But um, what what I did was make sure that everyone that turned up uh, pre-ordered a copy of the album for Tony, uh, you know, from the website. So I think I had about six or seven copies of the album when it was released uh, to give out to the different couples and people that came that night so they would have a memento of the show oh that's great mm. that's great but okay. as i yeah as I, I mean we, he, he invited us to dingwalls my wife and i um you know the following day so we went for the sound check and of course mark was there uh and uh, tony's son as well who was playing in the band um so that was uh, that was also um you know good to see to be honest yeah and that that was his only turned out to be his only show right of the of that's what, right yeah, yeah. so Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. I mean, we have seen some video clips of that. Um, okay. There's there's some people who shot some video of it, but uh, tell us a little bit about what that experience was like and, and what his show was like. I I know that um, he did, uh, I think he did a reggae version of Pink Marshmallow Moon that he evening. He did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he did Pink Marshmallow, uh, Pink Marshmallow Moon uh, acoustically the night before. Okay, great. Uh, with yeah. Us. But uh, yeah, he did. He did do a reggae version of that.
again, uh, you know, a uh, great reaction from, from the crowd. Uh, um, you know, he, he's such a, he's such a humble guy and, um, you know, um, he won the audience over in a heartbeat. Uh, and, uh, he just said, look, you know, um, I used to be in this other band and, uh, this is, uh, this is one of the songs as he introduced Pink Marshmallow Moon, uh, but the uh, the reaction to the new songs I thought was uh, was interesting as well. That you know you got a, a really good reaction. And bear in mind there was no real publicity or hype uh, before that. These were literally you were hearing the songs from a band perspective uh, for the first time. Um, so no one had anything to sort of say, oh yeah, that that sounds a bit like the album or whatever. Because as you know, the album was six months later before it came out. But no, yeah, very positive reaction. And as you say, I think. You know, given um, you know Tony's uh, health uh, scares, then I think um, you know it's it's an absolute shame that he wasn't able to go and promote the album uh, as he would have liked to have done. Because I'm sure uh, the tour would have been a great success. Yeah, without a doubt, that that is such a disappointment. Hoping hoping that he will, you know, get back to full health here soon. And and I don't know if if he would resume that promotion of my time at this point, or if he would start something else. But uh, Certainly, an album that was worthy of of promoting out there and touring, and it's a shame that well, that was the only one he could do. But he might tell me off. But uh, I did email him last week when it, the two year anniversary was up, and I asked him how he was doing, and he said he's he's getting a little bit better, but he's still not there yet. However, he did say he is being creative, but it's very very early days, uh, and I can't say any more about it. So uh, I didn't push him. Um, I'm sure. So I'm hopeful that uh, that means, um, you know, that there might be something else coming out. That's great. I hope so too. It's always yeah. worth, it's always worth hearing new stuff from Tony. Yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about some of your favorite, you know, big country tracks, what, and maybe lead that into what big country, just sort of a general, what big country has meant to you over the years, what they continue to mean to you. And if there's one track or one album or, or one moment, uh, that really, I know it's a hard thing to to say because there's so sure. many of, of these moments that it would be a hard question for me to answer. But if there's one track that really stands out to you, that really means the most to you and, and one big country memory that really resonates with you the strongest. So I think, um, there's so many great songs that, uh, that the band wrote, uh, but I think Wonderland would be um, would be my all time favourite uh, big country song. Uh, I am, I'm getting goosebumps now while I'm I'm just saying this to you. Uh, I absolutely love that song. Um, I, I would say between that and Fields of Fire, which was the first song of theirs, as I mentioned earlier, that I heard, it sort of zigzags sometimes between those two as to what my favourite one of their songs are, but uh, to be able to do a top 30 of theirs would be a little bit easier, I think, than just to, to pick a, a, a top <laughs> one or two. Uh, but, yeah. but at the moment, Wonderland is, is the one that, um, that uh, I, I just absolutely love. But there's some great songs that, um, that, Tony, uh, that the band wrote that never really made it onto an album, and I, I was always a little bit puzzled by the uh, record company process for selecting songs because some of the B-sides that the band released are absolutely phenomenal when a drum beats for example off the peace in our time sessions and uh, no place like home had kiss the girl goodbye uh, and i think those songs are absolutely surely those two songs would have been big hit singles in their own rights but uh, they never even made it onto the album so i'm not quite sure how that bit works 
Um, well, you're not the only one. Believe yeah. me, we have we have wondered this with many big country fans for years. Like, how did that song not end up on the album? It's insane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I totally understand. But, uh, I guess they they had a a time limit for vinyl that maybe CD sort of helped you push uh, the the length of time that you had. So maybe the first two or three albums did sort of suffer till CD sort of caught up, really. Um, but um, what does big country mean to me? Yeah, I mean, they still mean a massive amount to me. I'm still collecting. Um, I've just um, I've just got something on the way from Australia this week. It's a one-sided uh, test press of Steel Town uh, that, that's coming across to me. Uh, I spent £50 pounds on that on eBay, which I thought was money well spent. Nice. Um, so that so it still means a lot to me to, to collect that. Uh, my kids uh, grew up listening to Big Country, so even though they listen to their own uh, their own music now, um, you know, when my, my daughter, I mentioned, lives in the States, she's in North Carolina, and when she goes to see her in-laws in Alabama, the playlist that she plays has Big Country in it, you know, and, uh, it's a big country, America, right? So uh, that's uh, yeah, and she sent me a little, a little photo of um, you know the display in the car to say, "Dad, thinking of you on the way to to the family for uh, for Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff." So uh, they know how much uh, big country means to me, and um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to sum that up in a couple of sentences. To be honest, they, they've been a soundtrack really from most of my adult life, uh, and. Um, yeah, I, I think you summed it up beautifully right there. Okay, I'm going to try and stop there at that point. <laughs> so I, I guess the final thing that I would ask you is, um, you know, the band listens to the show usually quite often. <laughs> so okay. if you if you had a if you had a message you wanted to to give to them, you know, and they're listening to this, uh, what would you say to to them, to Bruce, to any of those guys? Well, I would say thank you first of all, uh, because I, I think sometimes when you when you write a piece, a piece of music or, or, or art in general, I don't think the artist themselves really understands the impact that it can have on someone's life, a positive effect on, on someone's life. And, and, and uh, certainly Big Country have been such a huge influence. Um, you know, the things that they stand up for uh, politically, uh, you know, definitely resonate with me. My father was uh, born in a steel town. Um, lived in, you know, born and raised in Falkirk, not too far from where Stuart and Bruce were brought up. So all of those songs, uh, Just a Shadow is another one that uh, criminally I didn't mention when you were talking about uh, great songs that the band had written. Um, you know, I looked at Backs That Push The Walls for years and I'll thank my dad for that one. Um, yeah, I mean, what they um, what they mean to people that I don't think they can ever really fully fully understand but thank you, I think, would be my simple message. That's fantastic. Wow. Well, well, Stuart, what an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And that was a fascinating discussion. And is there anything that you think that we didn't get to that you wanted to get out there or anything that we missed? Uh, no, no, I don't think, to be honest with you, I didn't really have any expectations, um, you know, other than just to try and answer your questions as, as succinctly as I possibly could. My wife told me not to waffle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she knows how much this stuff goes and, and my son the same. Dad, don't waffle. Just get to the point and then look on. So, Man, I, I wish our wives had told us that a lot sooner. <laughs> I, know. I know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we, we went from when we started this show, we would 
you know, a, a 90 minute episode was very, very long for us. And now the typical episode is pushing, you know, two and a half hours to three hours. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm, I'm going to catch up with them. I, I must admit, again, I've come late to the podcast, so I'm, I'm working my way through them. Hey, that's okay. Uh, you've, you've got a so mountain I'll, of stuff to, that'll last you for a while. <laughs> I will catch up. I promise you. Oh, that's, thanks, that's great. Thanks very much, Thomas. Thanks, Thank you, Stuart. It's been great a, to talk to you. Privilege. Thanks very much indeed. Okay, that was Stuart Arnott. Thank you so much, Stuart. That was some interesting conversation. Really loved having Stuart on the show. That was a lot of fun. And uh, despite that great interview, we are not going to be ending the show right now. Sorry, did you get that pun? Stuart Arnott and then we are not. Anyway, I'm sorry. That was terrible. Sorry, Stuart. I apologize to you. I apologize to our entire listening audience. I apologize to the woman who birthed me. Anyway, we are going to continue the show, and we are going to now speak to a fellow American. His name is Tom Steber, and Tom is going to talk about his big country fandom, as well as his experience seeing big country in San Francisco back in 1993 for what turned out to be the beginning of the U.S. Buffalo Skinners Tour. Some pretty interesting stuff, at a rare public, free public show that the band did. So, good name. Take it away, Tom. Interviewing Tom. All about Tom. Shut up! All right, everyone, we're back with a new guest, um, and this is Tom Steber. You might recognize him from the Great Divide page or, or from lots of different things. He's a frequent contributor there, and uh, Tom was a pledger for the WKW uh, campaign. So first off, Tom, thank you so much for pledging for that on behalf of me, Bruce, it's, and Jamie. It's my pleasure. It's, a, it's, a, it's our pleasure, to, and we appreciate having that opportunity, Tom, you know, because you guys... Um, Keeping sort of the spirit, the musical spirit of the band alive with with new music is important to all of us, and uh, we're happy to each you know do our little tiny part. So, thanks well, for uh, making that available to us. Oh, that's awesome! Thank you, really appreciate it. So, you know, we we so we're having you on the show, but we want to have you on the show anyway because I've known you online for a while, so it's going to be fun to talk yeah. with you. Unfortunately, Absolutely. Absolutely. yeah, unfortunately, our Norwegian co-host, who's usually right on time for everything, is not here because I think he possibly got the time times messed up or something because we were we were kicking around a few different time options and we finally settled on one and he might still be thinking we're going to be doing this an hour from now so we'll see if Svein joins us during the conversation i have a hunch he will but for now yeah i mean my theory is that he's drunk so we'll see what happens <laughs> that could be too we'll see so for now tom has been gracious enough to uh say let's go on with the show so it's so the two toms here today so tom i guess the best way to the best thing to start with here is, you know, we've been talking with um, with other people who've pledged and a couple other ones so far, but it's it's just fun. To, and you mentioned this, too. It's just it's enjoyable to talk about how people, at least from our from my perspective, I'm sure from other people's perspectives, how they became fans of the band in the first place, because we all have our own story about it. And you and I both being Americans, um, those stories might be a little different from someone in the UK. So how did you, how did you become a fan of big country? When did that happen? And, and I guess, why did that music resonate with you? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I think it's, and I, I, it seems like it's a little bit unique for each of us, um, which I noticed just in terms of uh, different people's comments about favorite songs or things that mean something to them. And I think that's such a fascinating part of it is that we all came to the band at a different time. We all pick up on different things that, you know, are moving and, and meaningful to us. So for me, I was pretty late to the party. Um, so, you know, when I mean, I sort of don't even remember the In a Big Country video being on very heavy MTV rotation. I kind of vaguely remembered it here and there. But 
you know, I was barely like 11 or just turning 11 years old at that time. And at that age, I don't know. I just don't think I had the appreciation for the rousing and femic uh, sort of, uh, you know, vibe. And uh, I guess given the, yeah, given sort of the uh, visuals between, you know, the guys in scuba suits, uh, you know, diving in the, the frigid <laughs> Scottish waters with the salmon versus, you know, Duran Duran in there. <laughs> um, you know, Italian suits, uh, you know, bathing in the Caribbean, you know, that was, that seemed more appealing to my 11 year old sensibility at the time. Um, so it wasn't until, you know, later on, uh, it was like in, I sort of vaguely remembered a couple kids in school, like in high school wearing seer tour shirts and they also wore other cool band shirts. So I kind of always thought, Oh, I, I remember that name, but I don't know any of their music, but they like other cool stuff. So I was kind of in the back of my mind. And then it, it was the summer of 89 when I was um, hanging out with my friend Catherine at her house and uh, she was getting ready to go to college. She was a year ahead of me. And um, yeah, I was going through her vinyl and I was like, Oh, you've got all these big country albums. I, I've, you know, I've always been curious about them. Can we put one on? So we just put on the crossing and we were talking and it was very much like background music. You know, we were not listening intently, but it was just sort of on. And, uh, and I just remember thinking it had a very, it sounded unlike anything I had really ever heard, but I didn't give it a very thorough listen. But when I left that night, I said, Hey, this is pretty cool. Can I, you know, could I maybe borrow the other two albums? And she said, sure. So, so at that point uh, I took, you know, Steel Town and the Seer home with me and got out my, uh, my 90 minute cassette tapes and, you know, copied the, <laughs> copied the uh, albums onto tape for the car. <laughs> I remember doing that. Days. Yep. Yeah. And of course the albums were just a little bit too long. So it would cut off the songs at the end. And, um, you know, I, I don't like songs getting cut off because I think that just dishonors the song. So I actually sort of faded out the end, you know, a little bit on the last track of each album, which was so sad because it was sort of right when it got climactic. Exactly. Hey, Tom, I got to stop you for just a second because oh. we have, we have now been joined by oh, all right. Svein. <laughs> Are you there, Svein? Greetings and salutations. How hey. are you guys? Hey. <laughs> How are you doing? Well, you've, sobered up, you've sobered up. Thanks for joining us. Did you forget the time or were you just late? No, I I was a few minutes late, but that's just because this is such a, a weird time. So, uh, But I'm here now, so hopefully <laughs> that, that will do. Yeah, no problem. That's great. Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's really nice to meet you. Are you six hours ahead of Tom or, or yeah, five hours? Yeah, six ahead of Tom, yes. Okay, nine ahead of me. Great. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, so Tom, um, you were talking about making the cassette tapes of Steel Town, The Crossing, and uh, and not being able to fit everything in. <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, so, it was just yeah, it was actually just Steel Town and The Seer. The Crossing I left behind at my friend's house, so I took those two, took them home. Um, I and I just uh, I especially fell in love with Steel Town at that time because it um it just sounded you know unlike anything I you know I really ever heard you know but. Um, in particular, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was really hard to explain, right? Cause it's, it's uh, such a unique, it's not just the sound, but there is a certain, um, there's a certain feeling about the music where, you know, I think we all agree that the band as a whole is, has always been greater than the sum of its parts, right? Where there's all this individual, like exceptional musicianship that you can hear. There's so much detail, uh, so many little, um, you know, counterpoint bass and like little flourishes, like, you know, little more dense and key signature or time signature changes and, and all these interesting uh, things that, that you don't expect usually, you know, in rock music. And to me, it, in many ways, it felt like, uh, you know, rock music with classical music quality. 
Um, so, so that was something that was really you know, intriguing to me at the time. And I think, you know, Stuart's very cryptic lyrics and, and uh, I think the sort of the heavy emotional quality that he brought to it really tied everything together and made it extremely personal um, in a way that I think a lot of music was at that time in the 80s, you know, it was very flashy and this seemed much more intimate to me. So, so all those things, you know, kind of that, uh, there was a certain darkness about it, but also this triumphant, joyous nature at the same time. It really felt like the, the whole gamut of human emotion and, and, um, and aesthetic, everything sort of came together in different, different ways. And it, it just felt like incredibly human and personal in a way that I had never really felt before about music. So um, also at that time, um, I was getting really, you know, into, you know, I'd been playing classical piano since the age of five. So at that time I was working on some pretty complex stuff. Um, I was working on Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is a crazy piece. It's got constant key signature and time signature changes. There's crazy syncopations. And sometimes just hearing, you know, the way Big Country brought in some of that, um, some of those, those uh, sort of technical, um, you know, the little technical um, surprises, I guess, were, were things that I hadn't heard in a lot of very straightforward top 40 kind of music up to that point. So that really um, piqued my interest. It just felt like a real like musicians kind of band. And um, I, I really felt that, you know, Stuart in particular, you know, his, he had a very pivotal role, obviously, as the front man and the, the principal lyricist, you know, and I think the way he conveyed, like I was talking about that full spectrum of human emotion, sort of from frustration to hope to, despair and being very raw, you know, even though it was sort of cryptic, we kind of knew how he felt, even if we didn't always know what he was talking about. That's where I really connected it, that, that, you know, Stuart sort of honestly, openly wearing his heart on his sleeve. And you could really feel that in the music, you know, there was a certain, I think we all sort of uh, agree with, you know, we know that Stuart wasn't the typical rock star persona where he was looking to be admired, um, but really kind of just wanted to connect with people. And I think sort of that humility allowed the music to shine without the, the sort of distractions of lead singer stardom that maybe artists like, you know, even Bono aspired to. And, and maybe even to some extent, I think Mike Peters tried to bring in a big country when he was on stage, because that's more of his personality. Um, and, you know, Stuart wasn't like that. It was just uh, a real deep and personal humanity that felt profound you know yeah yeah so you know you you got into big country um really to, to be honest around the same time i did i was a, a couple years older i think than you but it for me i also missed sort of the crossing because it didn't quite resonate with me yet and like you i got into them with steel town and then uh with the seer so i'm curious what you think about the, the way the band changed i guess you could say after the seer were they were they a band a lot of fans that we talked to um you know there are a lot of them who really sort of tuned out a little bit after peace in our time came out and and the few albums after that and maybe then came back for for buffalo skinners there are some who were there from the beginning and never tuned out you know went along with it and then there are some who tuned out around that time and never came back so um you you've actually obviously come back but what what did you think of the band's um, changing path, I guess you could say, in their career? How did you react to those musical changes? Well, you know, it's interesting because when, you're, when you come to, you know, the music 
sort of after the fourth album, you know, in 89, it, you know, the first four albums were already, you know, so, uh, so seeing those, that evolution was, you know, more concurrent than chronological, right? You know, you, I basically, you know, after I heard that, you know, Seer and, and Steel Town um, and just kind of got hooked on that, I, that's when I started my, my collecting binge at that time, you know, my early collecting binge. And really, I was trying to get my hands on anything and everything that I could at that time. And that included his for all, you know, all four albums and, and not always in order, right? So I was listening to things very much out of order to begin with. And I think that's an unusual kind of perspective that that maybe something that uh, might grab somebody that's an early fan and then they feel disappointed about the changes it's sort of all part of one package and i think maybe when you're listening to those things all at once you're probably picking up the similarities more than the differences so to me they all seem like um you know different different fate you know different sides of the same coin right um yeah, it didn't feel to me like, well, this is terrible. This is great. I mean, obviously, there's songs that we prefer over others. But to me, it all still felt like it was one band. I was still exploring everything. It was still all new. I was super you know, eager for anything I could get my hands on. Um, and uh, that included you know, any new releases. So you know, by the time I went to college and uh, you know, scoured the, the record bins you know, at the stores every week, just in case something came up, you know, and finally... Um, you know, the first single from No Place Like Home comes out and, uh, and you're looking at this strange uh, cardboard packaging with this weird uh, cursive logo. And, and you're thinking like, what is this? Is this real? Has this been misfiled? Is this supposed to be in a different, a different section? Or am I really, what am I buying here? You know? So I remember, I remember buying that and then hearing the, the Republican Party reptile track and thinking, I'm still not totally sure that I'm listening to Big Country, even when Stewart started singing, because the vocals were so, um, you know, growling and uh, and the music was so different that it, it took me till I got to, uh, uh, I think the second track was Freedom Song, and I, then I was home, and I thought, okay, this is this is uh, this is the band I know and love. It's still all here. They're just playing around with some crazy stuff. Um, yeah, no, I was a huge loyalist because it was so new, and. Uh, I think it was, you know, just it, the honeymoon phase lasted, you know, for quite a while. And that went, you know, you know, I would say those first maybe six, seven years was maybe my big honeymoon phase all the way through the long phase um, more than anything. So I think that was kind of my 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 big my big, uh, you know, leap into the deep end. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, you know, we like being in the deep end on this show. So that's, <laughs> that's good. Totally relate to that. And so you yeah. you actually we've talked about the shows that you saw in San Francisco. So let's segue into that a little bit. Uh, you actually saw them um, on what was sort of like a precursor to the Buffalo Skinners tour. Right. And, and you were saying uh, before we actually went live here or, or started to record that, and I think you're right, that these were probably the first shows they did in America um, since the Seer tour. So talk a little bit about these San Francisco shows that you saw that were uh, really connected to the Buffalo Skinners era. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I already, you know, the album hadn't yet been released in the U.S. Uh, in September of that year. Um, I had it because I had um, sort of been, you know, occasionally making a purchase on the country club, um, you know, mail order. Um, and I had ordered, I don't remember what I'd ordered, but I'd ordered something. And then, they, you know, they used to in, you know include like a little uh, sheet of what was happening with the band. And I remember they were saying, you know, the 
the new album was going to be called Buffalo Skinners. The first single was going to be Alone, and that was for the UK and Europe. Um, I, you know, my family comes from Europe, so my parents were over there all the time. And I had my mom in February of 93 get me the album, uh, as well as the single when she was in Germany. So, um, so I had heard it you know, all summer long, and I was really into it. But um, given that it had been so many months since it had been released, and obviously No Place Like Home, uh, wasn't even released in the States. They hadn't toured in so many years. Um, and, you know, Mark Brzezicki still hadn't joined the band. I, you know, I just thought things were getting smaller and smaller and, you know, they were never, ever going to come back to the States. So I just kind of made peace with that. And it was uh, actually at a, uh, we were at a street festival, my, my then boyfriend, now husband, um, and I were at a street festival in San Francisco uh, towards, it must have been I don't know what day of the week uh, September 30th was, which was the, sh- the day of the show. I think it might have been a Tuesday. So it must have been like a weekend and, and a half, you know, two weekends before, like the 21st. And we're walking around and suddenly I see a poster on, you know, they used to announce band, po- you know, bands all the time on, um, uh, what are those, like electrical posts and things like that? And they'd staple it on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember Back that. In- yeah. And so I was walking around and all of a sudden I see like, big country, you know, on this poster. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, my, my stomach dropped. I'm like, what, this can't be happening. I'm speechless. I'm like, I'm like, you know, you know, look, look, you know, look over there. <laughs> I was like, this, are they kidding me? This cannot be happening. So you know, I go over there. I'm like, you know, you know, forget everything we're doing right now. I said, you know, we're, first of all, first thing I did was, you know, uh, steal the poster. There were plenty others around. So I took the poster. <laughs> then I went uh, to a phone booth. If you remember those. And I uh, took a quarter, if you remember those, and I called the venue and uh, said, um, you know, there's this big country show on the 30th. Is this like the like Scottish band, big country? Is this like who's really coming? And they're like, oh, yeah, they got a new album coming out. I'm like, oh, my God, amazing. Okay. And it was only like 10 bucks, uh, which, which was crazy. So, um, yeah. And there was, you know, there was really no other promo besides that. I think it was the following week, days before where there was finally the ad that, you know, in the back of the weeklies, you know, the alternative news weeklies that every big city has here in the States. Um, there's always, you know, I don't know what you guys have in, in DC, but it's either like, you know, yeah, it used weekly. to be like something called the city paper, I think. And I think that's where I saw the ad for the Buffalo Skinners show that I saw. So yeah, oh, cool. I, I, I get it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I looked, for, I was looking in those uh, for, for years as well, like every week looking at every ad in case, just in case the band might've come. Cause we, didn't have any other way of finding out about stuff. And it was only like that week right before. So it might've been five days before the actual show that it was um, in that venue's ad, uh, which made it very clear that this was a very last minute thing. There was no advanced planning on this. Was This was very hurried, very last minute. Um, and then uh, it was sponsored by our local sort of alternative, you know, rock music uh, station, which was called Live 105. And uh, in, I'd say about three days prior to the show, they started doing like heavy commercial promotion for uh, Big Country's return and the free show that they then added um, during the daytime, this lunchtime concert series they would do. And they had them at Union Square, right in the middle of San Francisco. And, uh, they, you know, they had this minute-long ad where they would play little clips of, you know, I remember uh, hearing Look Away in a Big Country and Alone were definitely three of the ones they had in the background. And they were talking about uh, the show that night and the free show. Um, during the day. So I thought that was cool. They did, you know, a lot of promo for it. Um, so, you know, I, I wasn't, I was not sleeping for days, right. <laughs> I was pretty excited. And I took the train into San Francisco the, that morning and my, you know, my camera with, you know, a roll of 36 photo, you know, film 
uh, in those days. And um, yeah, and then, you know, the anticipation of, of, you know, walking from the train station over to Union Square and, you know, being, you know, w- among the very first fans there and just kind of waiting for them to set up was, um, it, it was almost surreal, right? Because I never, ever thought I was going to see this lineup of musicians that meant, that, had, you know, meant so much to me and had, was, had guided me through so many years of my young adult life. Um, and to see them live was, was just going to be, you know, mind blowing. Right. So, um, yeah. So, you know, the crowd started gathering. It never turned into a very big crowd. It was, you know, very last minute. It was a lunchtime thing. Um, talked to a few, you know, a few fans that were around. There was a very quirky woman, uh, that was, <laughs> deserves a, a show in her, in and of herself. <laughs> she was a very kooky, nutty lady that, uh, had, um, uh, gone she'd basically spent her entire like life savings going to scotland to visit all of the places you know the, the important places in Stuart adamson's life and then she had bought uh yarn from from scotland and knitted a sweater with the uh, big country starburst logo oh, on man. it um, and she said she was about to lose her job because she you know she wasn't they wouldn't let her take the day off so she quit and <laughs> she didn't know what she was going to do for money she was out of money um she was heavy, like in like infatuated with Stewart. And when the band sort of slowly like was like mulling about behind the stage and you could see it because it was all out in the open, you know, she was she just, you know, her her heart sank and she she, you know, she said, Oh my god, he's so he's so gorgeous, but you know, but you know, I know he's married. I don't want to interfere. <laughs> You're getting way ahead of yourself, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, oh, yeah, yeah, she was she was a quirky lady, and she was at the uh, show that evening too. But um, anyway, uh, you know, eventually, um, you know, we could, you know, you would spy. You know, the crew would come out, and then I'd see Ian Grant with his, you know, long hair, sort of mulling around the back. And then at some point, the band comes out, and it's like. It's just like a you know a, a dream, right? It's not it doesn't feel like it's actually happening when you're this American fan that's you know been you know wanting to see them live for so long, and uh, yeah, they come out and um, you know I, I I can't really remember what the order of the set list was, and I didn't grab the set list, but I believe at that time it was very common for them to open with uh, "All Go Together." That was kind yes, of their that's what their, I was starting, say. their starting set. So I'm pretty sure that's what they started with, and I. Definitely know they ended with Fields of Fire. Everything in the middle was sort of a blur, although I do remember that between that show and the evening show that they played, five songs from The Crossing, Look Away, Wonderland, and every song from Buffalo Skinners except my two favorites, which were Seven Waves and Selling of America. So mm. I remember the entirety of the set list, just not the order. And and what was the, what was the general reaction to that you saw there? Because... I remember when I saw the band in D.C. Uh, in October of that year, that I didn't know if, you know, I had visions of being one of 10 people there. You know, I didn't know anyone else who liked Big Country, but the place was actually packed and people were really um, incredibly receptive. So what was your audience like? Were they were they aware of what Big Country had done? Were they just there out of curiosity? Were they? That's a good question. My uh, So honestly, because of the last minute nature and the the sort of, you know, very short notice promo that was done, it did not seem like a particularly knowledgeable or enthusiastic uh, or even large crowd. I thought it was fairly thin. There was maybe, you know, three, you know, sparse rows of, you know, maybe a little bit more enthused uh, fans, or I would say quasi fans, given that I was the only one who, uh, you know, would chant two, three, four during chants. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everyone, who's, 
who's this guy? What's, what's going on? Um, uh, so yeah, so there obviously weren't any other like hardcore fans there. Um, and, uh, and it definitely seemed like it was more like, you know, office workers on their lunch break, kind of hanging out, enjoying the music. Um, and that, you know, that was sad to me, but, um, I wasn't sure if that was, uh, a sign of the status of the band in the United States at that point completely, or if it was just the reflection of the, you know, the last minute promo that was done. So, um, the show that night at the club, I also felt was disappointingly sparse considering, um, I would say it was maybe half full. And again, the crowd didn't seem very knowledgeable or, uh, you know, with, with the, the typical, you know, um, live audience, um, uh, protocol or etiquette, you know, there's a big country etiquette, right? And if you don't know that, <laughs> I think that you're not that, that, uh, intensive a fan probably. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I noticed though, that in November when they did come back on the full Buffalo Skinners tour, it was a completely different experience, Tom, much like what you had where the place was completely packed. The band, I mean, the, the crowd was much rowdier. Um, people were, you know, joyfully pushing, shoving, you know, sweating all over each other, you know, dancing around, um, doing the, the, the fan etiquette in the proper way. And, um, and it felt like a real big country show, you know, whereas these ones, these precursors were definitely a little bit, a uh, little bit sad in terms of like audience, but obviously that didn't take away from the amazing, mm-hmm. you know, vibe and feel of the, and, and as always, the band always gives it their, you know, everything when they're on stage, they, you know, they don't, they don't phone it in, right. They, they do it full force every time. And, yeah. and uh, that it was amazing. You know, I, I have to ask you because I've heard so many stories from people from that uh, precursor, as you call it, to the, to the full tour when they went around did PR they would show up in uh, basically market squares and <laughs> just play amongst the public here and there to to create some interest. And I've heard from so many people that, oh my God, that that's big country over there almost. Like they they didn't hear anything, and then on short notice they found out that they were there doing something. It sounds like that show you're describing was a little bit like that. So uh, did you know well in advance? And you might have spoken about this earlier before I joined. But did you how soon in advance did you know when? It seems like from the audience that it was very sudden for most people. Yeah, exactly. And when I was at the November show, a lot of the people that were there, and there were obviously more, you know, legitimate fans, including, you know, people waiting backstage hours before, you know, like where the exit doors were and stuff. So there was, it was a totally different vibe. And a lot of people said they didn't know about those first shows. Um, And I think that was really it. There's no internet. You know, how are people going to find out about something, you know, three to five days before it's happening or even be able to plan around it on a weekday, you know? Um, so, so I think that was, that was the, the, the real problem. Um, uh, yeah, but you know, once, once that, that those shows kind of, um, those first shows wrapped up the, the local radio station really got full force behind the Buffalo Skinner's album in a big way where they were, um, actually foregoing the official single, the one I love in favor of, the European single alone. And we're really playing that on a pretty heavy rotation, at least heavy enough that their little weekly sheet that they would do at, uh, put out at tower records with all the sort of top 40, like, you know, radio station sponsored album or recommended albums, um, had alone, uh, somewhere within those top 30 to 40 for, you know, maybe six or seven weeks. And also then featured the Buffalo Skinners on their listening stations, you know, they're promoted listing stations at Tower Records and um, 
you know, I, I saw as many as, you know, more than 30 copies of, of the album at uh, each tower records uh, location that I visited at that time. So I thought, felt that was a pretty heavy uh, promotion that, uh, that at least locally was put behind the, that album. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. That, that's that's yeah. a great uh, reflection of that time period, definitely. And uh, I, I had yeah. some similar feelings. I, yeah, I mean, for for those of us who really thought we got to, we came too late to the party and we're never going to have those opportunities to see that momentum coming up again and really feeling like you were in the midst of like a renaissance yeah. for the band, especially since such a great album that really ranks up there with some with among the best for all of us. Exactly. I think was was just an incredible uh, experience that. Uh, you know, and then you know, and then after that, it sort of seemed like it went back to went back to regularly scheduled programming. After that, I felt like it was this uh, little treat we got. Yeah, but, and, um, and especially with pass. with the, that time period being no, um, you know, no no internet yet, it, it was it was such a strange time because, like you, I as I said, I didn't even know anything about this show until like a, a week before it happened. I think somebody saw a small little ad, and I was like, "What? Big country is playing here." You got to be kidding! And and um, you know there was no way to to share this with anyone, and and except for your own circle of friends, and that's right. why I didn't you know I didn't know what to expect. I I didn't know anyone else who still liked Big Country. I I couldn't yeah. imagine that many people would come see them, and yet I was so happily proven wrong. So you know yeah. that, that, that's kind of a segue into into this last question. I think it's probably going to be the you know one of the last ones we can start wrapping up. But um, yep. it, this is something that you wrote in an email that you sent to us that I thought was really interesting. And maybe this will be a good thing to sort of sort of note to end on. And you, you were talking about the line in fragile thing that, that really resonated with you as to, you know, how that, how that reflects on the big country fan base. So, I mean, if, if you want to mention that and, and talk a little bit about, you know, a little bit more about what you mean by that, because you, you know, it is really interesting now that big country has this huge at least you know to us it seems huge this huge internet presence and this huge community i mean so many different big country pages uh, a big country podcast you know and and we do feel like there are so many more people out there now who we can commiserate with who we can uh, relate to whereas before all this happened we might have felt you know lonely in our big country fandom so yeah Talk a little bit about that line from Fragile Thing that you mentioned and, and maybe, you know, about the fan community and, and what it means to you. Yeah, you know, it, it's something that ha- that I've always, that's always sort of struck me about life is this idea that you when know, we go through our day and we see, you know, hundreds or thousands of people and we don't really know any of them, but every single one of them has this own full life, you know, and they're the ups and downs and the challenges and 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 this whole rich experience of life, right? And it's no different in the big country community. You know, the, the line I was referring to in Fragile Thing was, um, you know, there's a low ballet on the highway, brief faces in the light. I catch them for a second heading somewhere in the night, and we have no connection but the darkness and the road. I better find a place tonight. I better call it home. And it, it just, I think that's such a, you know, I was so glad to see that, that Stuart um, experienced that, too, because, you know, it's, we're in this huge, big world. We're all connected through this, you know, internet, you know, online presence, and we're in these groups, but we really don't know anything, you know, much about each other. And, and there's a, there's a, there's a way for us to connect, but we're still very disconnected. And there's, um, I think having an opportunity just to have a conversation with you guys about 
big country, which I haven't been able to do in 25 years because you know, no, nobody will listen. Um, just you know, personalizing things like that and getting to know a few of each other, you know, one at a time, you know, make, is, is um, I think it's just that, that human connection that we, that we all cherish. And, and I think that Stuart very much felt the same way too, where, you know, it, it's clear in the music that he felt very sort of alone in the world. And a lot of his lyrics reflect that. And at the same time, just always looking for that, that connection to other human beings. And for him, the music was his way of expressing himself to all of us. And that's the way that we can maybe relate to him and the band on a personal level. And, uh, and then as a greater big country community to each other, uh, I think it's great just to get to know each other a little bit more, especially those of us who are so far away here on the Pacific coast and so far from the action, you know, some people can meet up at uh, concerts and stuff. We don't really have those, those luxuries as much. And it's, uh, it's nice to be able to uh, bring, you know, bring a, a little bit of one-on-one personal humanity to everything. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And yeah. so are you going to be going yeah. to any of the uh, West Coast shows that we've heard about unfortunately, recently? Unfortunately, um, I won't be able to because um, my husband is a cystic fibrosis patient. Oh. And uh, that means that this is the time of year. Uh, neither of us goes to crowded places because of the colds and flus. They're very dangerous for him to pick up. So we kind of... Uh, hibernate a little bit for the next few months. Um, as we get into summer, I hope they might come back. Um, on the journey tour, it was, we were just, uh, my husband had actually picked up the flu that spring and it took him about seven months of recovery. And the night that I was able to see the band on the, uh, the journey tour, um, was really the only night I was able to really get away from taking care of him during that several month period. And, and uh, yeah, I had some family members kind of take care of him at that time. And that was um, made it especially meaningful for me to, to get away. Um, but right now, you know, everyone's healthy and wanting to keep it that way. So I hope they come back. Um, otherwise, I would have certainly been up in L.A. and uh, and done that. But what can you do? What yeah. can you do? Yeah, definitely. Well, gosh, I'm, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad he's doing well now. And yeah, health has to come first, obviously. So good for you. Hopefully they will get back. I know that they are you know, testing the waters in a sense too. So there's a, there's a good chance. I think they'll be back and you get another shot at it. I think so. And if it's, yeah, especially if they're, you know, summertime shows and Southern California is a big place. Hopefully we can, um, you know, go to multiple shows. I was only able to go to that one, uh, you know, in 2013, but you know, there were three or four Southern California shows and I'd certainly wouldn't want to travel and get to connect with, like we we're talking about meeting some other fans and, um, being part of the big country family, like one-on-one, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, that's, um, well, that's uh, awesome, Tom. And is, is there anything that, that, you know, you want to say that we didn't get to, or that, you know, we didn't prod you in the correct direction. <laughs> so anything that, <laughs> anything that you missed that you want to get out there? No, not at all. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm so appreciative of what you guys do um, with, you know, with the podcast as part of the, uh, the bigger global big country community you guys are kind of like our um statler and waldorf from the muppets right <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> and and uh yeah and you know between you guys and a few of the other groups it's it's such a great way to connect but i really do hope that um you know besides the you know just the the stories that uh it's it's good to to learn a little bit about each other and uh and put the faces to the names and and become you know individuals to each other i think is is a nice nice thing and i think if any community can bring that about, you know, connecting in that way, it's got to be the big country community. Exactly. I, I don't know if you listened yet to the last episode we did about uh, my Liverpool trip. 
you heard many examples of just that They're just going there and meeting all these people for the first time and it's uh, so unique and everybody has similar stories so that's awesome that's amazing i know i, know. I love that so so uh yeah thank you guys i appreciate the opportunity to to be on the show you know and I, I know i you know i had bought my way under the show so <laughs> technically you had me but but, hey, you know. it was it was our pleasure, and you know, <laughs> bought your way onto it or not. I, I always find it fascinating to talk with uh, with other people that I have never talked to before, but have seen you know so many times and communicated with. And and I, I have to say too that I want to wanted to thank you because uh, you were helpful to me early on in the whole WKW thing as uh, as a sounding board. I, I yes. shared a couple of those things with you early, and you gave some good feedback. And um, I was sort of just I, I just. Picked a couple people, just like, I'll send I'll send a song to to him or to her and see what they think. Just I, I do a little market research. So that. And yeah, you know, my my nosiness and and probing, you know, paid off <laughs> on my end. I really appreciated um having a little bit of an inside uh you know a pre a preview of everything. Yeah, and yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, and I'm very you know envious of so many. There's so much. I'm I'm so in awe of the the all the musical talent and uh you know all that's that that we see so pervasively in the big country community so many people you know in making music and and singing the songs and joining together and even all these new cover bands that are coming together and doing shows in uk i think that's such a wonderful thing that uh that we can all share in that uh you know i'm I'm more of a pianist i don't think the piano lends itself well to big country music which is which is kind of Sad for me. I don't. I just, I just think it doesn't. It doesn't translate as well as I would like. So, trying to pick up a little bit of the guitar. It's very hard. You know, at this stage in life, we were very busy people. I know. Hard to kind of sink our teeth in, and and um, and I don't have any you know big expectations. I just want to make a little music in a new way. And um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know if there are ways that people can actually virtually connect. You know, online in ways where they can you know, make music together across the world. Are there things like that? Because I would be so like eager to, to join up with people and, and uh, do some, some little things like that. You know, there's got to be other people that want to make music together that aren't, uh, that are thousands of miles apart. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, I there mean, you have it. Yeah. I mean, you putting this out there, I think will, will, will help maybe find you some people, but I know people have done that before. I know I've seen it that before where, um, people have, you know, someone has played drums in the UK, someone has sang in the US, and someone has played guitar in Scotland. And yeah, um, yeah. and we even featured one of those songs on uh, a podcast, approximately near episode forty or so. Oh, we did. Yeah, yeah. we did. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not sure of the exact episode, which is unlike me, but it's a while back. Uh, okay. We definitely yeah. featured one of those. So yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's put that out there. You know, and the low, the more low tech, the better, because you know, I. I <laughs> As, as you start getting more complex and, you know, sharing files and having to edit people, someone has to edit everything that makes it much more complicated. If there are sort of uh, collaboration apps that can be easily, you know, used um, by low tech kind of people, I think that would be great because, you know, I, I understand, you know, music is very highly technical, but I'm not a tech guy. Um, I just want to get some, I just want to play some heart, make some music and, and just get it from the inside to the outside. And that's really it. So um, yeah, let's see what people might uh, be able to to bring to the table and, and yeah, uh, see so, if we can. Make- yeah. So anybody listening to this, you know, if you if you have an interest in in uh, making some music too, like Tom here, yeah. um, let yeah. us know on the page and we'll we'll connect you guys. So that yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I think it's it's been so nice talking to you guys and and um, you too, Tom. just having a conversation about about something that means so much to me. And hopefully, uh, we we will no longer have to say you don't know me. 
you've never seen me before. <laughs> now we know, know each other a little bit. Very, and, uh, very nice. Wrestle's uh, natives pool. I like that. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay. And it, a absolute pleasure to have you on. And thank you so much. And uh, best to you and your husband. And, uh, you thank know, you. hopefully you guys get a chance to, uh, to see the band again at some point. Um, in the future, and uh, we really appreciate all the stories. And and again, I really appreciate the support of the WKW stuff. So thank you again for that. Yeah, I'm so eager to uh, to get a li- take a listen. I haven't had a chance yet, and I'm I, it's like I'm probably going to burn some CDs today with those files and uh, put it in the car. So we'll probably drive today. So that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Right, have a great rest of your day. Great to speak. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, so that's episode 88 in the books. Another inch closer to episode 100. What does that mean? I don't know, but it would be cool to have an episode 100 at some point. Didn't think we'd ever get there, but man, we're close enough now that we've got to keep moving toward it. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that. We really enjoyed having Stuart and Tom on the show. We've got, uh, as I say, we've got four more pledges to interview in upcoming shows, and um, it should be fun. So the next show will probably be a similar format. Um, These shorter shows are... Maybe not what's expected of us at this point, but it's kind of a nice change of pace for us after all the lengthy, insane deep dives that have just gotten bigger and bigger. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Stuart. Thank you so much, Tom. And uh, thank you so much, as always, Spine and JFNG. You can send us an email if you'd like to speak with us or get in touch with us at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to uh, learn more about WKW or purchase the CD or purchase the digital version of the album, we also have demos and instrumentals and some other cool stuff, you can visit wkwmusic.com and uh, and purchase it or even just listen to it before you purchase it or, or purchase it before you listen to it. That's typically the way I would prefer. So anyway, thank you very much. We will be back probably sooner rather than later. Hope everybody has had a great start to 2020 and we will talk to you very soon. Take care. How long have you guys been talking?